Well, we're starting a series called Getting On Board With Mission. And I wonder if any of you would remember in 1997, there was a movie that came out about a big ship. And uh, the big ship sank. Um, it starred a young Leonardo DiCaprio and a beautiful Kate Winslet. Anyone know the name of that movie? Titanic. Yes, Titanic. And um, I kind of fell in love with, you know, my heart will go on. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually liked that song. And <laughs> but um, it was a story, primarily a love story, about two star-crossed lovers. She, the beautiful woman that came from privilege, she had station, she had wealth, she was betrothed to this man who um, had mega, mega bucks. Um, and yet she was desperately unhappy. In fact, she was dying inside. And uh, into the picture comes this young, young man called Jack. And he came from the wrong side of the tracks. And uh, he was a young man who had adventure and life and he'd seen the world and somehow he managed to get on board this ship and have the time of his life, so he thought. And the story goes that um, Rose is her name. She sees something in Jack that she wants and she's attracted to him and they have this illicit love affair. And uh, in the end, uh, she leaves the man that she's betrothed to and the boat sinks and uh, they go down with the boat uh, but then they manage to survive and uh, Jack finds this floating bit of wood in the water in the North Atlantic, freezing water, and hoists rose up onto that and in an act of unselfishness and self-sacrifice, he uh, steadies the wood in the water while he slowly dies of hypothermia. And I still remember that scene as he sinks slowly down deep into the water and I remember bawling my eyes out, <laughs> Jack, Jack, you're dying. Well, he died. But there was something really terrible about that movie, something horrendous, I thought. And it really identified the difference between those that were being saved and those that were perishing. And the terrible thing about that movie was that the uh, people that were from the wrong side of town were actually in the bows of the, the boat. And uh, the people that were being saved, of course, were the people of high standing. And they were on the top deck. And because they were getting into the lifeboats and there weren't enough lifeboats. And so the stewards came when they realised there weren't enough lifeboats and actually locked the doors to the people on the bottom of the, the boat so that they couldn't have a chance at being saved. Do you remember that? And, you know, the truth is, that story, there were 2,223 people that went on that maiden voyage of the Titanic and 1,517 people died and only 706 people survived. And as we know, it's gone down into folklore. We're talking about mission. Mission this month basically means to be sent, to go. It's as simple as that. 
And God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves everyone. God made this earth. God's heart's desire is that none shall perish, no one. And he does love the whole world. Just go back one. You know, you think why, for those that know and love Jesus Christ, why should we be the only privileged people in the world to be symbolically on that lifeboat while others are perishing? Why should it just be us? Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, says that he found no other religious text outside of the Bible that said God created the world out of love and delight. Most ancient pagan religions believed the world was created through struggles and violent battles between opposing gods, and when they won, they became gods. And I know that's true because last year Warren and I went to Cambodia and when we were there we saw the majestic uh, shrines that were uh, dedicated some 1,000, even 1,200 years ago to the Hindu and Buddhist gods, majestic uh, shrines that were left for some 700 years in the jungle to just let the jungle take over them. But as you walk around these monoliths, you'll see on the sides there are inscriptions everywhere and they're all about the individual Hindu gods that fought to actually win, to, to earn the place of God. And yet the God that created this world created it in love and out of love and delight. Tim Keller goes on to say that when he became a minister, he was part of a monthly discussion on Philadelphia radio and um, he was asked to speak about the Christian faith with a, a Muslim cleric and the topic came up about God's love and it was striking, he said, how different our conceptions were. He said he was told... Uh, repeatedly by the Muslim speakers that God was indeed loving but that only in the sense of him being uh, merciful and kind to us. But when Christians spoke about the love of God, they spoke about him in personal ways of being filled by the Holy Spirit in ways that gave us life and a personal deep intimacy with this God of ours. To our Muslim friends, they were offended. They told us it was disrespectful and in their view to speak of anyone knowing God in this way was absolutely offensive. And yet God so loved. He didn't just love. He so loved the world. In the Gospels, there was one disciple that was present at Jesus' death. This disciple, John, had spent three years with Jesus on earth in ministry with him day in, day out. And then for decades later, he was an apostle and he spread the good news 
the saving news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And after a lifetime of preaching and teaching, he put pen to paper and he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the letters of 1 John 2 and 3 and he wrote Revelation. And in 1 John, in chapter 4, summarising his whole experience of God through the life that he had actually lived with God, he wrote three, three words, three powerful words. God is love. That's how he summarised the God that he knew, the greatest words ever written. And, you know, when we look at a sunset or a new baby that's been born or the love of a couple that's been married for 60 years, to deny that God is love is impossible, isn't it? But in an age of doubt, many, many disbelieve that either God exists or that his essential nature, his essential character is love. But God is not only love. That love had a purpose. That love did not just stay with him. It says God so loved the world. And the world, another word for the world, is cosmos. And it's used 186 times in the Greek in the New Testament. And it always denotes, this word world always denotes a lost world, a a world that is going about its own way and headed for destruction or to perish. And it's amazing that God still, despite the fact that he loves us and so many of us don't love him, God still remains loving to this world of his. On our planet, there are 6.1 billion people and within that number, approximately 24,000 of these are nations and languages and peoples. And some of these 24,000 peoples have heard the gospel, but some haven't. Today, it's estimated that there are over 650 million Christians, people that actually have a real intimate and life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God's heart is to love everyone, those that love him and those that don't. And that means nations. That means the people of Malawi. That means the people of Uganda. That means the people of Nairobi, the people of Cambodia. And in Revelation 5.9, we see an incredible example of what will happen at, at the end when John says, you are worthy, he says to to Jesus, to take the scroll. Sorry, this isn't John. The next one is John. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people 
and nation. The good news is not just for those that are sitting here today. The good news is for every tribe, every language and people and nation. And then John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for you and I. God's heart is to love everyone, to love everyone. You know, sometimes I wonder what this world would be like without the light, and we sang about the light of life, the lamb that was slain in this world. Take that out of the world completely. And how would this world look? I remember Warren and I went to Sydney some years back on a holiday and and when we go away, we really love to have a look at, you know, all the historical sites. We we love history and and I love art and love to go to all the museums and it was a great holiday because we actually got an understanding of our birthplace, our birthright. You know, um, for those uh, white Australians that came on the uh, ships, we were a penal colony, for goodness sake. Botany Bay was settled, apart from the first Australians, Botany Bay was settled by white uh, people as a penal colony. And the first governor of Australia was a man called Captain Arthur Phillip. And he was a born-again Christian. And he had a choice. He was actually given a choice from England to choose how he would continue to establish this land. He had the right to decide whether it would continue as just a penal colony, a deposit for the refuge of England, or whether he would actually establish this land as a land of hope. And because he was a Christian, because he was steeped in the Christian values, he decided that when men had served their time, they would get a ticket of leave and that they could then go on to be free men and women. And he established, we learnt, the uh, judiciary systems, the education systems and the hospital systems, which were all based on this one man, Jesus Christ. And although the world may not understand, we know that we enjoy God's blessing, God's principles, God's promises as people even some 250 years later in this country. God's heart is to love and bless everyone. When John made the amazing statement that God is love, he says that Jesus was 
the very manifestation of this love. In 1 John 4, 9, he says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You see, God was the first missionary. He sent his son to earth to die for us. And in Romans 5, 6 to 7, it says that, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When Warren and I were in Cambodia, we, we found it quite oppressive, really. We found that um, the Hindu and, and Buddhist religion, although the people there uh, embraced it and loved it, we actually found it quite oppressive. It's based on luck. It's based on um, appeasing your gods. And so that's why there's little shrines outside of every shop and every little house. And if you don't appease your god in the right way, then bad luck or bad karma will come to you. And I couldn't help but compare this to the God that I knew. You see, the God I know that saved me was a God that doesn't desire continual appeasement. You see, he clearly told me that I would never be good enough, that I could never please him enough. So I might as well stop trying. And that my original state was and is hopeless. The Bible calls that sin. And I don't think you have to look too far in the world to realise every day more and more man left to his own devices, rejecting God, is allowed to just sink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sinfulness. In Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge murdered and plundered a country and killed three million of their own people. And a government came to power which for the last 30 years has been marked by corruption. I saw families sleeping on the streets and government officials everywhere driving huge Lexus vehicles. And our driver told us they only get these through bribes. But I only need to look at myself and, and how I carry grudges at times, how I am unforgiving at times, how my pride gets in the way that I know too well the Bible's truth that I need a saviour. Scott McKnight says of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, it's the work of God to restore humans to union with God and communion with others 
in the context of community for the good of others and the world. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's heart for mission. So his heart is that everyone should be loved and his heart is also that none should perish, not one. In Boot Hill, in Tombstone, Arizona, there's an epitaph for a man by the name of Les Moore and it reads, here lies Les Moore, no Les, no more. <laughs> and maybe that was true of poor Les Moore, but it's not true of those that know Jesus Christ. When we die, we will actually be more alive than we have ever been. Because John 3.16 says, for those that believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you know that those that believe in him actually have that eternal life, that deposit of the divine within us right now and that our lives should be marked by that divine that is within us, that Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. And God's heart is that none should perish, that everyone, all 2,225 that were on that boat, his heart is that every one of them would get into a lifeboat. In fact, in 2 Peter 3.9, he says, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is everyone. God's heart is that none should perish. And I think we see the greatest example of this in Luke chapter 15 when we see three examples of how God through Jesus, goes out to try and find those that have been lost. First of all, there's the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus had been eating with tax collectors and sinners. Take note of that. The people in the bottom of the boat. And I often think that if Jesus were to get a ticket on the Titanic, I know where he would be. He would not be up on the top deck swanning himself, he'd be down in the bottom deck doing a jig with Rose. Jesus had been eating with the sinners and the tax collectors and he said that if any one of them had a hundred sheep and he loses one, doesn't he leave all and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and rejoices with his neighbours. He rejoices. His heart is a heart of love for the lost. And then there's the parable, perhaps the clearest one, of God's heart for the lost and his heart for love. And it's the parable of the lost son. And the story is that there are two sons and the youngest one 
asked for his share of his father's estate and then went out and blew the whole lot on wild parties, drunken orgies and wild living. And the other continues to work diligently for his father. And when the money had run out, the youngest son, well, he thought he might as well return ashamedly to his father and confess and ask forgiveness and perhaps his father would give him some menial job on his estate. But the scriptures say when the father saw him, he was filled with compassion and he ran towards him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the younger son expressed his unworthiness, but the father would have none of it. He asked his servants to bring the best robe, the best ring, the sandals and a feast fit for a king. And meanwhile, the other son, who'd been diligent and faithful, complained and said to his father, what about me? What about me? And his father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Do you know, those of us who have said yes, to Jesus Christ, that have said yes to life, those of us that are fortunate enough to be on that lifeboat, do you know the Father is saying, I am always with you, always. And everything I have is yours, everything. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And Philip Yancey says that a friend of his lived in the Middle East for 40 40 years and noticed people living in the remote Lebanon area where it was thought this parable was was meant to be around. And they were still living there as they were some 2,000 years ago. And so he gave them this parable to read and when they read it, there were two things that struck them. The first was they said that if a son asked for his inheritance early, what he was really saying was, I think of you as already dead. You never asked for your inheritance before your father died. So not only was the lost son wayward, but he was completely rejecting and disrespectful. I think of you as already dead. I think this world often says to God, I think of you as already dead. You don't exist. So the lost son was rejecting and disrespectful, and for the father to embrace him so wildly just shows how God so loved this sinful and rejecting world. It shows the amazing character of God, which is pure love. And, you know, even for us, we may feel like we don't deserve a loving God to try his hardest to bring us back to him, or we may bear a grudge against him 
for things he should have done or should have changed in our lives. And my own experience of life and the fact I've been working for 30 years in people work, people helping work, and listening to other people's stories, I can tell you that no one, no one in this world is exempt from pain or suffering, not even those that know him and love him. That's not the point. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our lifeboat. The things we want removed may not be removed or changed, but our hearts can be. Our hearts can be. Our hearts, through the love of God, showered on us through Jesus Christ, can continue to transform us daily. So even in the midst of pain, we experience eternal life now and forever. And that's our vision here in this church. That's what it truly means to thrive, to know life in all its fullness in exactly where we've been planted, no matter what our circumstances. Eternal life in John 3.16 means that Christ himself is the life and believers in him already have a foretaste of eternal life as they come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But the full enjoyment of it lies in the future, after we die. And the second thing about this parable shows us the heart that God has for those who are perishing and how much it cost his father's dignity to seek the lost son. You see, in Middle Eastern culture, the higher your station in life, the more leisurely your walk or your gait. It is only the servants that scurry around and hurry. A respectable Middle Eastern man would never pick up his garment and run towards his son. He would never do that. It would be demeaning and embarrassing. Yet here the father clearly runs to the son who is lost and wanting to return. God's heart is that none shall perish. A godless world where people are perishing exists and that's the heart of mission. To run to, to be sent to those who have not heard the message of true life. Mark Docking sent me an email and she says, yesterday, a young boy, 21-year-old Philip, sat here in our home and told us some of his past. At 10, he ran into the bush with his brothers and mothers to hide from the Children's Liberation Army. You know, that shocking, shocking army that in the name of God, this man has taken children and caused them to be child soldiers. Well, it's not in the name of the God I know. They shot his father as he would not give up the children. He returned, Philip, with his family and saw his father in a pool of blood and buried him. He's wanting to finish plumbing and return to support his brothers and sisters and his mother who is weak as she was badly bashed 
and her hip was damaged. Marg says, just another glimpse of life without God. A godless society is truly a disaster. Then she goes on to say, postscript, by the way, that young lad actually finished quietly by saying, God is so great. These kids easily see the godless and recognise the heart of God. That's what Mark wrote to me. I wonder if we do. I wonder here in this church when we have so much, I wonder here in this nation when we have so much, do we really appreciate and value the heart of God for us? And so what should that do to us? How should that energise us for mission? I just wanted to read this scripture as well. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And that's the heart of mission, to go, to be sent, so that the light can continue to shine in the darkness. Rick Warren says, your ministry is a service to believers. Your mission is a service to unbelievers. God saves and then he sends us. So what should we do? In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go to the people of all the nations and make them my disciples. Baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to do everything I have told you. This commission was given to every person who is in that lifeboat, every person. It's not just been given to John and Mark Docking or uh, John and Will, uh, the Wilmots or the Gervins. It's to every single believer. Why? Because it reflects God's heart and because God's heart is to love and bless and to be a blessing and for him in turn to be blessed. If your neighbour had cancer or AIDS and you knew the cure, it would be criminal to withhold that life-saving information. It was criminal that the stewards on board the Titanic locked the gates below the decks so that the lower classes could not get to the lifeboat and be saved. Even worse, it is criminal to keep secret the way to salvation, forgiveness, purpose, peace and eternal life and keep it to ourselves. We have the greatest news in the whole world from the greatest God in the world and sharing it is the greatest kindness you can show anyone. I don't know if you can read this, but God so loved the world was to the greatest degree. Sorry, God so loved is the greatest degree. The world, the greatest gathering of God's people. That he gave, which was the greatest act, 
his one and only son, which was the greatest gift, that whoever believes in him, which was the greatest opportunity, shall not perish but have eternal life, which was the greatest promise. We have the greatest life out, but we shouldn't keep it to ourselves. I wonder today, have you come to a place where you have experienced the greatest demonstration of God's love to you through Jesus Christ? When I was in Vietnam and Cambodia, the overwhelming sights of Buddhas were everywhere. But what impacted me so amazingly was that quietly, surreptitiously, the places where people went for help to ease crisis or distress, the hospitals and the clinics were incredulously recognised simply by one thing and one thing only, a simple cross. In those countries where there was no sign of the cross, the only sign was on a hospital or a clinic. It is the death of Jesus Christ through God's amazing love and concern that none shall perish, that we find our true identity and our true life. And if you have been given this life, then you have no choice. It is a mandate to go and be sent wherever you are in your workplace, in your home, in your school, and tell people, give them the greatest kindness ever of the greatest news. In winding up, our Kent Hughes said this, there is a cost to sincere service for Christ. Never share your faith and you'll never look like a fool. Never stand for righteousness on a social issue and you'll never be rejected. Never walk out of a theatre because of a movie or play is offensive and you will never be called a prig. Never practice consistent honesty in business and you'll not lose the trade of a not-so-honest associate. Never reach out to the needy and you will never be taken advantage of. Never give your heart and it will never be broken. Seriously following Christ brings with it a gamut of sorrows almost completely unknown to the unbeliever. But, of course, you'll also never know the joy and adventure of being with the Lord of the universe and of a spiritual victory as you live your life in your allegiance to him in your daily life. What about you? Are you ready for the greatest mission of your life to share it to a lost and hurting world? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and we thank you so much for all that you have given to us. 
we thank you for your heart, that your heart is to love and it is to see that none shall perish but have eternal life. Oh Lord, we just pray this morning that as you touch hearts in this place this morning, as you transform lives, Lord, let it be that you quicken our hearts to be sent, to let this greatest message about the greatest God go into all the world so that the light will continue to shine in the darkness. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for all that you have given us in your holy name. And Lord, as we come now, we just want to say that we do want to give. We want to give our lives to you. There may be some here that actually just may quietly want to say that prayer. And there's a part on the back of our blue card where you can tick, yes, I do want to ask Jesus into my life. And we'll, we'll contact you. Or there may be some of you that were like the lost son or the lost daughter. And you realise today that God's been speaking to you and you want to return back. You want to be embraced and kissed by the Lord of the universe again. God loves the lost. There's a part on the back of the blue card where you can tick, I'm returning back like the prodigal. And we'll contact you. There may be some of you that have prayer requests, that have deep needs. God wants to minister to those needs and we'll pray for you. In these next few moments, just before the offering is taken up, you have an opportunity to fill in your blue card. But Lord, we just want to say that we do want to give to you. We want to give all our hearts, our lives. We also want to give of our finances, which will go to spreading this good news, to making a difference in the world, to righting the wrongs and to proclaiming your love. Thank you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.